Welcome back. Richard, it's good to see you again. Good morning. Um, nothing new keep, today? We just keep meeting this way. I know, these virtual meetings. Yes. Um, okay. Well, you know, last week we talked about uh, how, how badly our schools need us. And, right. And, you know, everything is happening in the schools and how challenging things are and, and the, 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 the amount of lag a lot of students have um, in their academics because of, in large part, because of COVID and, and all the ramifications of that. Right. And so this week, we're going to kind of expand that because, you know, we talk a lot about the schools. There's a lot going on in the schools between, between school shootings, um, you know, the, the academic um, lag that a lot of students are having, like I, like I just mentioned, you know, there, there are loads of articles and uh, people writing about mental health issues um, in, in adolescence and, you know, teen suicide. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, when we're when we're thinking about kids and teenagers, that's right. And and in response, and it's a normal response, in response to the pandemic and the school shootings and the 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 achievement gap um, that was really really highlighted during the pandemic, you have all these um, these issues that have uh, come insinuated themselves into the into particularly public schools. I think they've affected all schools, but I think it, the the effect has been more pronounced, more obvious in public schools. So in response, the public schools around the country have said, okay, what can we do about what's going on? I mean, if you talk to any school district in the country, and you and I have talked to, you know, as we go around the country doing presentations and consulting and workshops, we hear the same thing. You know, the kids are out of control. They're not doing their work. Um, they're, some are violent, some are aggressive. And so, um, so schools are trying to respond, right? Um, so what can we do to mitigate, um, and to sort of get a handle on some of these things? And one of the solutions is something called social emotional learning. Well, yeah. and, and as we've talked about in previous podcasts, social emotional learning or SEL, um, you know, has garnered a great deal of, uh, of, Contention. It's there. It's been an, it's been a major arguing point um, and a, quite a flashpoint for a lot of people. E even though social emotional learning really is just a, a method or a strategy or maybe a, a, a group of strategies used to help help kids and teenagers develop sort of an awareness, some self control, um, and some interpersonal skills that they need to you know, relate with each other and to manage their emotions and to manage their interactions um, as they're, they're moving through the world. That's right. Social emotional learning is nothing more than teaching kids how to solve problems, how to develop self-discipline, how, how to control their impulses, to manage their emotions a little bit better. Um, and, and, if any, and if anybody's worked in the schools, you know that kids need to learn that. That's right. I mean, one of the most important things anybody learns is the emotional regulation. You know, what do you do? Everybody has emotions. What do you do with those emotions? How do you express them? And how do you keep them under control? That's really what social emotional learning is about. Um, but in this election year, in these very divisive times, social emotional learning, like so many other things, has become a flashpoint right. um, in public schools. And and the, the, the debate that we see in political, in the political arena, and, and in the election year, I think you see it more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, politicians, 
people running for office will do what they can to garner votes. Um, that's part of the part of our process. So schools this year, during this election cycle in particularly, in particular, have become a um, a focus of the um, in, in this election year, and so um, politicians in particular are raising issues of, of wherever they can, and one of those is, is social emotional learning. And even though research suggests that if you improve social emotional learning, academic skills improve. So not only is social emotional learning in and of itself worth worth doing, but you also get the added benefit that kids do better academically right. um, when, when social emotional learning is, is part of their school day. Um, but in this climate, social emotional learning is one of those things that's now being used as a weapon to frighten parents into thinking that social emotional learning is some kind of a conspiracy theory, that it's gonna be used to indoctrinate their children. That's never been, social emotional learning has been around for 50 years. Yeah, it's I mean, been around for a long time. You know, it's been around for a long time. Um, and so it's that's been never been things. its purpose. Right. It's been called different things over the years, and it's 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 taken on different appearances over the years. But right, um, but it's been around for a long time, and you know, it, even though you have all of these people talking about it as though we have to be afraid of it, that we should be concerned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to understand why we should be concerned of, about the idea of teaching kids how to manage their emotions and behaviors. That's still confusing to me. But no matter what you hear it's not really not something that we should be afraid of. Um, no, and I would say that if most parents really took a look at social emotional learning um, and there are different, it, it's, there are different companies who present it in different ways. Um, just take a look at it. Talk to your school, talk to school um, officials, uh, teachers, um, administrators. And I think that most parents will find out that the goals of social, social emotional learning are quite similar to their goals. I mean, I, I think I think parents and teachers want exactly the same thing. And social emotional learning is one of the ways you can achieve that. So there really is nothing to fear with that. Yeah. However, <laughs> if, if you're going to be worried about something, right. um, speaking of, uh, of some of these companies and speaking of some of these things, um, perhaps what we would cons- what we're concerned about and what we are encouraging parents to think about is sort of turning that camera back around and looking at home just a little bit because um, there was a very interesting article that we read um, this week talking about uh, a book that, that was recently published um, and it's talking it's all about who is parenting our kids and uh, the you know, the, the, the title of the article is Big Tech is Co-Parenting Our Children. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, be, be afraid. Right. Um, yeah, the, it, it was great. The article, the title really caught our attention. Right. <laughs> um, yes, be afraid. Um, there's nothing to fear with SEL, but there, and, and schools are not doing the, indoc- schools are really not doing the indoctrinating. Right. Okay. That, that's not where, that's not what you should be afraid of right. um, if you're a parent. Um, you don't need to be afraid of what's going on in schools, whether it's critical race theory or social emotional learning. That's not where the problem is. And I, and I, and I think this person, uh, the person who wrote the articles in the New York Times teaches at, uh, I think, Fordham. She's on the faculty, of, uh, I think, at Fordham. Um, but she's talking about a book that was written 
um, by Susan Lin entitled, Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big, Miz, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're worried about, if you want to worry about something, this is probably worth reading and thinking about. Well, right. If you're, if you want to, if you're going to worry about who's indoctrinating and who's influencing and having some uh, significant um, influence on our kids, right. this is what you need to be thinking about. Because, you know, we did an article, we, we did a podcast not long ago about an article that came out folk, written by someone who worked for, for Instagram and Facebook. And, right. and she said that she said that we know what kind of influence that we have on teenagers. Uh, basically, their analytics let them know that, you know, the, the things that are presented on Instagram and, and Facebook, uh, but especially Instagram, have significant influence on kids, especially teenage girls, um, and the way that they see themselves, the way that they, they see their behaviors and their appearance and all of these things. And they have significant influence on the lives of kids. That's right. More right. so than, than social emotional, unfortunately, so, so much more so than social emotional learning that we're getting at schools. Right, right. And she begins this article. I thought it was kind of, kind of cute. The, this woman has had um, experience with, um, with children's television. She's um, the, the woman who wrote the article. Has a, and Susan Lynn has a lot of experience with um, children's TV. And she, she said that she compares... Um, things, social media like Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, as the modern incarnation of fairy tale stepmothers, um, the wicked, the wicked stepmother. Um, and she says they, she talks about uh, wicked stepmothers and the big bad wolf and all these characters from fairy tales. And she said they pose as caregivers. You think of Little Red Riding Hood, right? right. They pose as caregivers. And, they, and, and what these social media companies do is they cultivate affection and attachment. That, that's really what they do, don't they? They, they? they cultivate affection and attachment and they train them in consumption because these, the, the goal here is we're given hours a day. The companies are given hours a day to raise our children. And they replace, and we're going to talk about these later, they replace, they replace play with screen time and parent bonds, the bonds that you should develop with parents, with connections to devices. And, and she said, it's just like the fairy tale, right. step, wicked stepmothers, is they bring you in, Hansel and Gretel, you know, mm-hmm. they bring you in, but there's this insidious uh, other purpose, okay? Right. And so her thesis is that these companies really don't care about children during their most important developmental time, years. Right. Okay? So we're talking about kids from, say, four or five and preschool or kindergarten kids right. through high school. Okay. And right. these are developmentally appropriate times. That's when we shape kids. That's right. when they're molded. That's when they become the adults that they're going to become. And her other point and this is where her advertising background comes in, is they care about, they care more about ad revenue. And so the goal is to keep kids online as much as possible for as many years as possible. Now we know they do that. Right. right? But I had never thought of it in terms of advertising because TikTok is free, right? I mean, anybody can sign up for TikTok. It's free, but as you watch now, 
a lot of the popular TikTokers have been um, are now getting um, paid. They're, they're not doing paid advertising and it's just them. And they're talking about, you know, different products or different things. Um, you know, th there are different ads that come on there for, for, for various things. And so th there, there is some, and, and because of the algorithm, it, it's all related to what the kid is already viewing and what they are searching for. And so, it, so it's not, no, not a surprise that when you look at some of the statistics, um, it, it's pretty impressive. Like, the, the average American eight to 12 year old. So right. those, you know, the, the, the end of elementary school, you know, third to fifth or sixth grade there, um, a kid is spending over five hours a day online. Mm -hmm. Almost all of it is just passively watching. And, and when we talk about play in just a minute, that's going to be something that's really important that it's just passive entertainment. They're not doing anything. They don't have to interact at all. It's just passive engagement for over five hours. And then when you think about those teenagers, 13 to 18 year olds, it's almost seven and a half hours a day on the screen. That's right. And I, and I think the important thing there is this is passive viewing. What, right. what they're essentially doing is watching movies, uh, short clips, okay? Whether it's YouTube or TikTok, what they're doing is they're just sitting there watching. They're not doing anything. And what Susan Lynn is saying is that kids, every, not just children, but kids need to do something. Right. That's where growth and development comes from. Right. And if they're just sitting there watching, and that's what all the data suggests, is that kids are just watching stuff. Right. Okay? They're not really doing anything. And when you talk to kids, when you ask them, they say, what do you do? Like, well, mainly I watch YouTube videos or I'm on TikTok. Those are short videos. Mm -hmm. And so what Susan Lynn is saying in her book is, yes, they have captured your children's attention. But their goal is not child development. Their goal is to sell your kids something. Right. Yeah. And, and she she did this little uh, example where she posed as a posed as a four year old right. uh, and, and talked to her Echo Dot and told the Echo Dot that she was bored and and it su suggested an array of products. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, and she named the companies. I didn't want to name the companies here, but she yeah. named the ads that started pouring in. You know, I'm bored, and so here come the ads. Right. And so um, she also likens the internet, what, what kids are doing on social media to the days of TV when if a kid was watching cartoons, you got a lot of ads for cereal and other toys and things. And she called, it's in advertising, it's called the nag, N-A-G, the nag factor. And it's, and that's what she's concerned about is that um, advertisers call something, call this the nag factor, which is you put these ads out for kids and then they go nag their parents right. to get what they saw on uh, online. And that's what, that's what's happening with uh, social media today is right. you have a nag factor. Okay. Right. And that's why, you know, she, she, and then she gave that story about, four, about posing as a four-year-old. Right. Now so I she think said there's, there's three problems here. Right. Um, first of all, and she said, um, she, she talked about uh, Steve Jobs when um, Steve Jobs uh, testified in, in, in Congress um, that he doesn't let his kids have an iPhone. His kids don't have iPhones. And so Congress, in response, said, well, this is a parent. This is a parent issue. This is a private issue between kids and their parents. OK, and she's saying, no, we can't blame the parents for this one. Uh, this is not on the shoulder of parents. She said this is a public health and a democratic crisis that 
can't be put just on the shoulders of parents. And she likened it to cigarette advertising, cigarette regulation. You, you can't just blame the parents. You, you, ha- you also had to make the tobacco companies um, instrumental or anything else of this magnitude. And this is, this is, a, this is you know, social media um, is probably the most important thing that most kids do every day. Well, and, and remember, we, we did, a, again, we did another podcast, um, maybe, uh, it's probably been a couple of years now, maybe we need to revisit it, but um, where we talked about the, the laboratory in, I think it was Stanford. Stanford where, University, yeah. Yeah, where they are looking at the science and research behind um, how to keep kids engaged, how to keep them plugged right. in, and what you do, how do you develop games, and how do you develop products to keep people engaged? and. I mean, the, the research is, um, I mean, it's important, good research, because, you know, when you think there's lots of good uses to that information, mm-hmm. um, good uses from the perspective of, you know what, you, you are teaching a kid algebra, how do you keep them engaged in algebra? Well, if you incorporate these kinds of aspects into it, it's going to keep them engaged. Well, if you take those same principles and apply them to games or to videos and things that are more entertaining by, by their very nature, and then you kind of beef them up with this additional information, this additional, uh, these additional enticements to keep them engaged. Well, then they just stay engaged for, well, seven and a half hours a day on average for teenagers. Yeah. And there really is, uh, how do you, how do you make any, there's nothing that we can do. We parents and teachers can do that will be anywhere near as compelling as social media. I mean, it, we're, it's just not. And so, just as in the days, the early days of children's television, there has to be some kind of regulation here of what kind of advertising um, can be done. And right. so the first thing, first point she makes is, um, let's not blame the parents for this one. This is, this is bigger than, than what most parents. Now, there are things parents can do, and we're going to talk about some of those things next week. Um, yes, there are, the parents must assume some responsibility for their children's use. But this is an awfully big mountain to climb for most parents. And, and you're really fighting a losing battle. I mean, you can, right. you can maintain some control, but you're never going to get ahead of this. And so we're, we're going to need some help, and that help has to come from somewhere. So number one, and we agree, let's not, let's not put this one on the parents fully, okay? Right. The second issue is play. Yeah, it's it's such a huge issue. And there, there's a great book just called Play, right. where uh, the researchers talked about the, the the critical importance of play for children. Um, you know, not only is it, you know, we, we typically think of play as being physically active. I think that most people, you know, well, you know, he's getting up and he's moving around and he's, he's right. playing. So he's, you know, being physically, physically active. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other things that go along with play that are really important. Um, right. Whether they're playing by themselves or they're playing with friends. That's right. I don't know about you, Bernie, but when I was growing up, I mean, and I'm sure they have even, even a generation later when you were playing, there wasn't a lot of entertainment available out, out you know, there were television sets, um, right. but they stayed at home. You know, we, we couldn't take the TV with us as we can with a cell phone. They were heavy. But we, they were there. We tried, but um, we were bored. You know, we would get bored, like summer vacation, right? Or... You know, you'd start to get bored and you had to do something to entertain yourself. Okay, so you had to go out and find friends or you had to tinker with your bicycle or you had to make up games. And it's that 
active, creative aspect of play that's important, no matter what you're doing, um, no matter what, whether it's physical or playing house or do, doesn't matter what it is, you're creating something and you're building something on your own. When you're using social media, you don't have any of that. Right. Okay. You have no, you have no involvement. As you said very early in the podcast, it's a passive experience. Right. You're just being entertained. Right. And so you have these addictive programs. You have these programs that draw you in and keep you in, but there really is no developmental work being done by the child. They're not doing anything. Right. Yeah. And, and even when you think about activities on electronic devices, there, there is still a, a significant difference between a kid playing a strategy video game, strategy-based video game, and watching, mm-hmm. watching videos. Right. There, there's, a big, there's a big difference between those two things. And, um, you know, yes, they're both still screen time, technically. They're still both, um, you know, virtual but, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they're, they're making decisions and they're, they're having to problem solve and you know, with one of them and with the other, they're not. It's just sitting there and, and, and watching. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases is I'm bored. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. OK, when your child comes to you and says, I'm bored, I don't have anything to do. That's an opportunity for you to create the circumstances that are the best thing you can do for your child's development. Right. And they, they have to take that, I'm bored, and do something with it. It's not your obligation to entertain your children. There's enough entertainment out there for them. Right. They need just the opposite. Our children today need just the opposite. They need to be bored because boredom motivates them to do something. And what we want is we want them to do. Right. Now, the the, the next thing, and, and I think that this is where it kind of ties in, is the the third thing that she talks about is parental bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, your light went out. That's interesting. I, I, I thought the light has gone out around the world, but no, it's just my, my light has decided to take a rest. So yeah. um, it'll come back. It'll, it'll be back in a minute. I don't know where it goes, but it'll come back. So, yeah. but the, the third thing she talks about is the importance of parental bonds with the kids. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so if kid, if a kid is bored and they come to their parent and they say, I'm bored, and but then the parent just says, well, here, go do this or go do that. Well, right. you're, you're just you're just putting them off to do different things. And sometimes that's OK, because sometimes you have things to do as a parent and you, you, you can't engage with them right at that moment. Right. That's also an opportunity to there is your light. You're back. You must have had an idea. Uh, <laughs> the light went on <laughs> yes but but you know but there's other times when as the parent when the kid comes and says they're bored you can say well you know what let's do this together let's let's mm-hmm. come, help me, come help me cook dinner or help me do this or let's go do that and, and and tighten and strengthen these parental bonds that's right and the the other point she makes and and i i think she does it but she really does this very eloquently I, i've thought a lot about this but she has really encapsulated it and, and made, made it meaningful. Um, you remember when we talked about the wicked stepmother and how you know the, the fairy tale godmother, uh, wicked stepmothers would co-opt, they would take over with mm-hmm. promises of a lot, but they really it was really self-serving. Okay. Right. When you take a, 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 the average 15-year-old, and she talks about a particular 15-year-old in the book. 
when you take the average 15 year old, they spend almost seven and a half hours on screen. Parents are always shocked when you tell them that, that your kids are on screen for seven and a half hours. During that seven and a half hours, most of the time is being spent passively viewing videos. And what they're watching, and we're going to talk some about this next week, what, they're walk, what, they're, what they watch creates emotions, mm-hmm. right? But the emotions that are created are envy. They're fear of missing out. It's, they depress, they can depress you or they can delight you. Some of the videos delight you, but some of the videos depress you. The point is, is that the typical 15-year-old spends about a third of the day having his emotions careening from one to another, back and forth, from envy to fear to happiness to depression. And it's, it's, it's producing these things with no meaningful guidance. The, the social media creates these emotions and fosters these emotions but it's not guiding the child. Remember Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers entertained you, but guided you at the same time. There's no guidance with social media. It's just there. And these teenagers are careening all over the place, but there's no parent who's, who's really concerned about the concern. No concerned parent is there to guide those emotions. Right. There, there's no, there's no support for how to regulate and how to manage those emotions. So they're just, they're viewing, they're experiencing an emotion, and then they go to the next viewing and they experience an emotion and go to the next viewing and experience emotion. They're not, they don't process through anything. Right. They don't say, you know, uh, there's no one there to, to say, hey, you know, that looked like it really upset you. What's going on? Right. If you, if you are with other people and you experience an emotion, there's going to be some reaction to that emotion. And so the other person is going to experience the emotion in response to your emotion. And so right. then there's some kind of conversation and some, even if it's nonverbal communication, there's some mm-hmm. type of communication going back and forth about the evaluation of these emotions. And, you know, it, it's, those are important experiences. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, go back as, go back as early as Candyland when that's a game that all of us yeah. play with our kids at some point. If you're playing Candyland with your child and your child loses and has a tantrum, you're there to help them regulate their emotions. Right. If that happens on social media, there's nobody there to regulate their emotions. Okay. And that's what she's talking about here is that that parent bond isn't there with social media, but that's where kids are spending seven and a half hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I guess the, I'm looking forward to to diving into this book because um, you know it sounds as though she offers some interesting insight and um, ideas into how to how to manage some of these things and how to respond to some of these things with parents. But you know, again, we would definitely encourage you to check out the New York Times article. Um, the book is available. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we just learned about it, and but it's it. This is a topic that we were. Um, we, we were looking into anyways. And so that's why we thought we would go ahead and present this. So it's um, fresh for everyone. Uh, but read the New York Times article and even check out the book because this is this is a real crisis. This is really something that we should be concerned about, not necessarily social emotional learning at schools and you know some of those kinds of things. But this is the thing, this is the stuff we need to be worried about at home every day. Yeah, these, this is the group that is captured your children's attention and, and they have an enormous influence 
on your children. And um, this is what, if you want to worry, this is a place to worry. You don't need to worry about social emotional learning, but we do need to be concerned about what is happening. Who is parenting the children? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we, we ought to think long and hard about that. Definitely. So, all right. Well, that is it for today. Um, we'll be back and we'll talk some more about this stuff next week. And so until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.